the FT Weekend Podcast, supported by Ledger, the secure way to buy, exchange, and grow your crypto. From beginner to an expert trader, Ledger has everything you need to buy and grow your crypto securely, all in one place. Reclaim power over your money. Learn more at ledger.com. Hi there, this is Lila, host of FT Weekend Podcast. I'm jumping on to say that we made a whole show for you this week, and then terrible news broke that Russia invaded Ukraine. We wanted to acknowledge it and also speak to someone who could help us make sense of it. As it happens, the best person we could think of was actually just on the show last week. Alec Russell, editor of all of FT Weekend, and someone who covered the collapse of communism in Eastern Europe. So we'll speak to Alec first, and then, as promised, we'll have the international mystery of the hum. Alec, thank you so much for coming back on the show. I know this is a crazy day for you. Well, thank you for having me back. When we spoke last week about Eastern Europe, I really didn't think I'd be coming back again just a week later after such terrible news. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd love to start by just asking you, you know, Russia has invaded Ukraine. What does that mean? You know, you reported on the collapse of communism and on Eastern Europe, and I would love to hear your visceral reaction right now. When I woke up this morning to hear the news, uh, I was all all but literally stunned. I mean, it wasn't a a surprise, but still the shock of this and the shock of this across Europe and Eastern Europe in particular just just is extraordinary. I mean, what has happened is 30 years of post-Soviet peace has abruptly come to an end. Yeah. And a 30-year dream for Ukraine has abruptly come to an end. I mean, this is unbelievably awful. I I was in Ukraine in the very last weeks of the Soviet Union in the late autumn of 1991 Mm -hmm. in Odessa, and the Soviet Union still existed, but it was patently, it was ending. It was coming to a close. There'd been this hardline putsch attempt that had failed. Yeltsin was in the ascendancy. The, the, The New World Order was was looming, and there was this stunning sense of hope and optimism. Mm. And now that has been crushed in Ukraine, and people are feeling really frightened across Eastern Europe. Can you tell me what you mean when you say the end of a 30-year dream? Well, you have to remember that that the late 80s, early 90s saw the rolling up of the, not just the Soviet Union, but that, the, the whole sort of Eastern Bloc, Mm. And democracy started to take root. And over the last three decades in Ukraine, a broadly thriving, modern Western society has started to take root. We had you on last week talking about Leia Ibi's memoir about the collapse of communism in Albania. Um, I'm curious how that interview sits with you now. Are you thinking about it differently at all? I think I'm just reminded of how the West did come bouncing into the region with its prescriptions and confidence. And that did have a knock-on effect that that there were some people that sort of bristled and, and bridled. Mm-hmm. And that that is, I suppose, implicitly one of the arguments that Leia is making in her stunning memoir. But again, to be clear, I think it's very important that we don't 
start buying into the theory, oh, well, this is really the West's fault for sort of pushing right. NATO forward and so on. Absolutely, absolutely <laughs> not. This is Putin's fault entirely. Right. Alec, you know, we asked you on partially to ask how we should think about this. You know, should we be afraid? Should we be on the streets? Like if we're in London or New York or wherever else and we're trying to make sense of this news, how should we be thinking about it? Uh, I think we should be, one, we should be terribly sad. Yeah. We should be terribly sad that Ukraine is facing this appalling turning point in its history. I think as well as being sad, we should be a little bit embarrassed because we in Britain have not been sufficiently steadfast in taking on the Putin state. There were long years when we were very enthusiastic about accepting the presence and money of Russian business people, some of whom had uh, really, should we say, quite shady associations. Mm. So we should be sad. We should be embarrassed. We should be resolute. We should realize that this is a big test. Now, the biggest test, arguably, that the West has faced in decades, and we cannot fail this test. Mm. And to fail this test would be to watch on appalled, make some measures, and basically in a few months' time accept that, well, okay, so Ukraine wasn't part of NATO, and it's tough, but wasn't it always somewhat in in Russia's shadow? And we'll keep some sanctions on, but eventually the world moves on, and we just cannot do that. Mm. Thank you, Alec. Is there anything else that is going on in your mind right now or that you're looking for as the news sort of goes along that we should know, that we might want to know? I, I think we have to just keep a really close eye on what ordinary Russians feeling and yeah. thinking. And yes, I would imagine that there will be initially a surge of patriotic feeling that tends to happen when tanks are rolling. But this isn't like the invasion of Afghanistan in 1979. This is an invasion of a country of fellow Slavs mm -hmm. and of, of a country which is seen as a brother or a sister. So to unleash the tanks and the artillery and the jet planes against Ukraine and to have casualties coming home, how popular is that going to be as the weeks pass? And then when you, when you add to that the impact that there will be on the Russian economy, for all the fact that Putin has built up in recent years sort of Russian alternatives to all sorts of parts of the economy, mm -hmm. the Russian economy is going to be affected if it is considerably cut off from Western markets. And as we all know, uh, that is traditionally one of the greatest problems for autocrats when the economy starts tanking. So mm. I think we need to keep a close eye on what Russians are really thinking as opposed to what Russian propaganda is churning out. Yeah. Alec, thank you so much for coming on the show again and with such short notice. 
Thank you, Lila, for having me. I'm just so sorry. It's for such a terrible reason. And now, the story of the hum. When it first started, it wasn't just a noise. It came with, like, a wave of energy first. So I used to feel it before it actually came. How weird. So I used to sit in our front room after tea, and at around 7 o'clock, every night, I'd go, it's coming. And he'd like, how do you know? And I'd go, because I've just felt like this wave go through my whole head and my ears, and now, within, like, 10 seconds, a noise And then you hear it. And it did. That's journalist Imogen West Knights talking with Yvonne Connor, a resident of Halifax, West Yorkshire. Halifax is a small town tucked into a valley in the countryside of northern England, close to Leeds. Population 88,000. Yvonne is talking about a mysterious hum that's been bothering her for the last two years. She's saying that when she first heard it, she'd feel it come in every night after tea, which is northern English for dinner. It would go through her head and her ears before she could hear it. Imogen recently traveled to Halifax to speak to Yvonne and others like her. And she wrote an FT Magazine cover story about it called The International Mystery of the Hum. Halifax residents say they've been hearing the hum since about the start of COVID. And it's really hard on them. So you're saying you think about moving? Yeah. Because I could stand it much longer. Just like all, all last year, I kept looking at lodges. I kept thinking of buying a lodge somewhere up in Skipton so I could run away yeah. there. Anything that I could move into just to get me out of it yeah. for a little while I looked at. But the thing is, not everyone in Halifax can hear the hum. To those who can hear it, like Yvonne and hundreds of others, it's with her often. But those who can't hear it, well, they have a hard time believing it's real. This week, we jump on Imogen's investigation and keep going. Are these people actually hearing something? Is it an illness or something external, like an industrial noise? Is it possible... There's a global phenomenon that's behind these vibrations. We even got our sound engineer involved. That's really clearly just basically one frequency, but there is a lot of activity underneath it. So here we go, the international mystery of the hum. This is FT Weekend. I'm Lila Raptopoulos. In Halifax, it all started with Yvonne. So Yvonne is, yeah, one of, she sort of considers herself, I mean, she is a spokesperson for the phenomenon in her area, which is Homefield and the surrounding neighborhoods, which is a part of Halifax in West Yorkshire. And she noticed the sound in April of 2020, she thinks, is the first time that she remembers being kept up by it and mm. just hearing this vibration sound in her house primarily. That's where it was loudest. This is Imogen talking to me from our studio in London. She heard about this story a few months ago. Her friend sent her a local BBC article about Yvonne and the hum and said, this is my worst nightmare. And Imogen thought, this is really weird. So she called Yvonne and Yvonne told her this story. And she thought for a while that it was a neighbor hoovering at weird times or had got a new boiler or something like that. And then eventually she actually went to the neighbor. I questioned her and she was like, no, why? Yeah. I was like, well, I keep hearing this noise. And she was like, oh, we thought that were you. Oh, they're hearing I it I was now. like, really? So I thought, right, well, it's not her then. So yeah. that made me think, well, what, what actually is this? That's Yvonne on tape, as you probably gathered. And from there, she sort of found herself getting out of bed in the middle of the night, driven half crazy by it, driving around the town and finding that she could hear it all over the place, not just in her own home. 
But for ages, months and months, she apparently just thought she was losing her mind a little bit because her husband couldn't hear it and her son couldn't hear it. And then January 2021, she set up a Facebook group about it. About 800 people responded to Yvonne on Facebook. That's 800 people clustered around the same locality, hearing something that no one else is hearing. It made Yvonne feel like she wasn't alone. So I know that I'm not going mad, and I think the actual setting up the Facebook page, finding out, or just putting that question out there, and finding out I wasn't the only person actually helped me stay sane because I really believed it was just me and it, it were in the head. And this isn't the only hum. Windsor, Canada, Taos, New Mexico. Google the hum and you'll find global maps dotted with them. Imogen's been through tons of YouTube videos because around when she first talked to Yvonne on the phone, she also went down this internet rabbit hole. Looking at them, listening to them, studying wavelengths, reading Reddit threads. She went deep. So in this country, the earliest reliable reports come from Bristol in the 1970s. It depends who you ask, but most people would say those are the ones that you can trace back to this thing known as the hum. And a load of people started hearing this same weird low droning sound and they didn't know what it was. And it was supposed to be so bad then that it was causing people's noses start to bleed from the kind of vibrations in their head. Wow. But it's been all over the world. There's one in Germany. There's a load in the U.S. So when you went online and you found all these conspiracy theories... Can you go through those theories with me? Like, before you went, (laughs) what theories did you have in your mind? Yeah, so, I mean, there's all your classic end-of-days doomsayer stuff about, like, it's a climate catastrophe and Mother Earth is warning, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) But there are a load of reports from France about wave activity hitting the ocean floor thousands of miles away and kind of reverberating through the Earth. And then there was a lot of stuff about various different industrial possibilities, like wind farms or factory furnaces, pipes, you know, all the kind of like prosaic stuff. What were you expecting to find when you went up there? Did you have an idea or did you think, I have no idea, I'm just going to see? I didn't know. I mean, my worry on the way there, I suppose, was that I would get there and not find that many people who could hear it or it would turn out that the main people who could hear it had some other issue that hadn't been reported in the press, like a, I don't know, a medical condition or something that would make it not a mystery in that case. And I was worried that I wouldn't hear it. It seemed pretty likely that I wasn't going to hear it because everything that I'd read about the hum so far was said that the majority of people who do hear it are middle-aged and beyond, mostly female, although I am female. But I was concerned that, you know, it could be there and I would not be able to hear it. And then I wouldn't know where to go from there exactly. There was only so much Imogen could do from home, so she got in the car and she drove to Halifax. She wanted to solve the mystery, or if she couldn't, at least be its witness. She started small by walking around town, asking people if they could hear the hum. And not everybody took her seriously. I went into a pub and this guy saw me coming a mile off and gave me this spiel about UFOs and then was (laughs) saying it was the... Another woman who was in the pub had left her vibrator on upstairs. You know, it's hard to know. I turn up in the wrong shoes with my little recorder (laughs) and I'm traipsing around and saying hello to people. I think they see me coming. So a lot of people were quite happy to have a bit of fun with the out-of-town journalist. But there were also a number of people who did care about it and they wanted to share their theories. In terms of people who were seriously speculating on what it might be, 
there's been a new phone mast put in mm. up at the top of the valley. So, people, you know, there was a bit of kind of 5G type chat that I got from people. There's an electricity substation nearby that people spoke about. There used to be a train station in Homefield and then that got demolished. But the people were talking about tunnels underground that used to service the train station and maybe something reverberating through that. Right. And then there are these industrial units. There's an industrial site in Homefield where there are three or four companies, big ones, who run various kinds of factory equipment. And that came up a lot as well. Mm. I mean, I imagine it was also probably hard because for some people it was like, this is causing them real suffering. So it's not a fun story. It's like a real one. Right. I mean, I have to say, obviously, what drew me to it initially was I was like, oh, this is a bit kind of like spooky and fun. And then you get talking to people who are affected by it. And there's nothing fun about it at all. It's, you know, incredibly distressing to live with that kind of an intrusion into your private space as well, because a lot of people spoke about it being loudest at home and at Mm. night. When, you know, you expect to have a a bit of peace and quiet. To give you some sense of the disruption on people's real lives, the hum bothered Yvonne so much that she had to quit her job. She'd been a support worker for a homeless charity, which she loved. But as the hum kept her up later and later, she started to lose concentration. She couldn't function during the day, and eventually she quit to take better care of herself. What kind of dog is the next dog? A golden retriever. She started walking dogs instead. I've been sleeping with my earphones in. I was sleeping, listening. I'd listen to three or four CDs over a night from like three o'clock in the morning right through. And if I fell asleep, I fell asleep. If I didn't, Mm. I didn't. Because I couldn't go anywhere else in the house to get away from it. Because it's in every single room. What did the hum sound like to her? She described it like... Lots of people described it this way a car accelerating in such a way that it would suggest it's coming towards you, but it never arrives, it never comes, and it never goes away. It's such an infuriating sound in and of itself because it's so full of potential to end because you're like, oh, I know this sound, and then it goes away, but it doesn't. Oh, that's maddening. (laughs) That's so scary. Yeah, horrible. The symptoms that Yvonne and others described to Imogen were sleeplessness, nausea, anxiety, headaches, despair. One woman told her that once you hear the hum, you can't unhear it. But Imogen couldn't hear it. She went on a walk alone on her first day there, trying to find it. And I didn't hear anything. And I really tried, and it's a weird thing to try and do. I sort of found myself standing in the street, straining. I don't even know what muscle I was straining, but like trying to hear something. And I couldn't. I mean, everything is really noisy if you're trying to listen to silence to find noise in it. So... I couldn't say that I heard anything that made me think, oh, that's unusual. Next, Imogen went on a walk with Yvonne and the dogs. Goodbye. We were walking in the valley, and she pointed over at some factory buildings and was like, can you hear that? And then suddenly I could hear it. There was Mm. this droning sound coming from the factory. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can hear that. And she said, that sound is what I hear in my house. But the wave of sound will continue at slow frequency for miles, surely. And it was loud, and we were quite far away from the buildings. But even so, you know, factories make noise, don't they? Like, that's that's not a surprising fact. Then, that night, Imogen went to Yvonne's house. They went up to the attic and couldn't hear it. They went down into the kitchen, couldn't hear it. 
Then Yvonne turned off the appliances. She unplugged the fridge. She turned off the boiler. Could wait for them to stop running. But when they did, I could hear. Suddenly, I did hear this. It was really quiet. And I think I'm not, I must not be as sensitive. My ears may not be as sensitive to the sound as Yvonne's. And she said it wasn't as bad as, she said it was like a three out of 10 on that day. Mm. But I did hear this sound, this sort of very, very low humming sound. Let me say that again. Suddenly, Imogen could hear the sound. Here's that moment from her recording in Halifax. The moment she finally hears it. Yeah. You can hear the hum. Yeah, let me see. Can you hear that? Yeah, I can definitely hear that. And it had this slight pulse in it, which is another thing that people talk about with the hum, is it's got a beat, not necessarily a regular one. But yeah, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was thrilled, obviously, because here was proof to my mind anyway <laughs> right. that she was... Because I don't know, she seemed absolutely lovely and we had a nice day together, but you never know that maybe it was not real. There are some people who've done research on the hum. Not many, but some, as there's not some huge financial incentive to figure this out. One thing that everybody agrees on is that most of the people who hear the hum are middle-aged women. And that's true of hums beyond Halifax. For whatever reason, it seems to affect them disproportionately. Beyond that, there are different theories. One is that the hum is environmental, that it's a real sound coming from the area, like what Imogen already mentioned. Turbines, ocean sounds, old tunnels. Another theory is that the hum is internal, that it's an illusion coming from the mind. There's a high school teacher in Canada named Glenn McPherson. He's heard the hum, and he's done a lot of research on it, so much that he has a website database where people can document their own experiences with it. I feel like he's quite reliable because he's put so much time into it. Glenn adheres to the internal sound theory, that it's not a sound at all. It's generated within the body, like your ears ringing after a loud concert. But the twist is that a lot of people, including Yvonne, they can get away from the sound. The hum doesn't follow her out of town. So how could it be in her head? I spoke to Yvonne in January, and she got back. She went on a cruise over Christmas. What does Yvonne think it is? She thinks it's something industrial. There was a particular furniture factory that came up a lot in my conversations with locals that I spoke to, and they said they didn't run machinery overnight. It couldn't be them because people heard it at nighttime. But she's not sort of wedded to any particular theory and I can completely understand. It does sound that way, the noise. And it you can hear that noise near the factories. Imogen's theory is that the hum might be both, external and internal. That it starts as environmental, but it can become psychological. You know, the initial sound is real, but it gets so entrenched in your mind and so upsetting that even if it goes away, some people just can't stop associating it with that place and then can't stop hearing it. That's actually happened before. In Windsor, Ontario, people heard a hum for several years in the 2010s. Researchers thought it was coming from a steelworks, and then when the steelworks closed, most people, they stopped hearing it. But for some, the hum continued. In terms of it being a real noise versus something that maybe the human body generates in a disordered kind of way, what people would sometimes say is like, oh, one person will have this disorder or tinnitus or be noise sensitive or something like that. And then they'll start making a fuss in the local press and a load of bored people will say, 
oh, yeah, I hear that as well. And I just think that's such a cynical view of the way people (laughs) act. I believed everybody I spoke to who told me about how distressing the sound was to them. And I didn't think that they just made it up in order to jump on some local bandwagon. But back to Imogen's journey. She heard the sound. But then here's what happened next. Then I went back to my hotel room and was thinking about what people had said about recordings of it and how difficult it is to get. And I played it back and I couldn't hear it. Wow. I don't know. Maybe I didn't have the right stuff to listen to it with or... But yeah, it didn't surprise me at all. But although I did hear it in person, it wasn't on the tape. Okay, so Imogen didn't have the best recording technology. She was using her iPhone. But we have the recording and it's true. At that spot, there's nothing there. Not a hint of anything. But why was she so quick to dismiss herself? She'd heard a sound. She felt it coming up through the ground. And for me, this is where we get into really interesting territory. Because this is the part of the story where it becomes about who we believe and whose reality we take seriously. Do we believe Yvonne? Do we believe Imogen? For that matter, does Imogen believe Imogen? Obviously, my main goal of this whole trip is to hear this sound. Right. So I was like, Am I only hearing it because I'm looking to hear it and trying to hear it? And yeah, at the point at which I thought I could feel it through the floor slightly, I was like, I'm hyperfixating on this now and I need to stop. (laughs) But I did. I thought I could feel it a little bit in my feet. Isn't that wild that you started to distrust (laughs) yourself as soon as you started to hear the hum? Yeah, I'm sure I must have just sort of ingested so much information about how it was rubbish. Right. That I, yeah, immediately was like, oh, maybe I want to hear it so much. Right. That I'm making it. But it was, you know, it was real. This question of what we do with invisible suffering, it's one that actually comes up a lot. There are many chronic pain sufferers. Endometriosis, long COVID, asthma, radiation exposure, mold exposure. A lot of this stuff goes undetected, undiagnosed, or not believed. Especially when it's happening to women, and even more often when it's happening to women of color. Imogen's been reflecting on this as well. I'm curious what you think this story is about big picture. There's, of course, the sound and it's affecting a small percentage of people. And in some ways, it's a fun and spooky mystery. But what is it like about about you? You know, having written it, having it published, Mm. what do you feel like at its core it's about? It's about believing people. Mm. It's about trusting people's accounts of their own experiences, which I... I find kind of compelling anyway because I have a chronic pain condition. There is something so dehumanizing and demoralizing about being told that what you are reporting is your real life Mm. doesn't exist. Okay, so because we believe these people, we decided to pick up where Imogen left off and keep the investigation going. We gave the recording she took of her and Yvonne walking the dogs and listening for the hum in her house to our sound engineer, Breen Turner. And what he found didn't solve the mystery, but it did suggest that something real is out there. Well, I have exciting news for you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Which is that you sent us those recordings and we gave them to Breen, our sound engineer. And Breen has been looking at the sound waves through some of those recordings. On the recordings? Uh, Yeah. And um, he's found some interesting things. (laughs) It's time to find out if I'm crazy or not. I'm hoping the answer is you're not crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too, me too. (laughs) Hey, can you hear me? Yeah. This is Breen. He's from West Yorkshire, too, not far from Halifax. He's a genius, and he has a bit of experience with audio forensics. So when we brought this story to him, he went down his own rabbit hole, too. 
So to set the scene, Breen and Imogen are in London, and he's showing her the visual representation of sound waves that appears in his audio editing software. I'm in New York, but I'm seeing it too because Breen shared his screen with me. So I'll just start off with what this is, is sort of an entire frequency representation of the audio. So at the top are higher pitched sounds, at the bottom are lower pitched sounds. And just for listeners, it looks like fire. Like it looks like we're looking yeah, at... Yeah, it really does. Yeah, it's called a spectrogram because it represents the entire spectrum of what we can hear. And the brighter points are basically where the sounds are loudest. Okay. But they also represent an area of the frequency spectrum. So if you look here, this is dialogue. The audio really does look like fire. Most of it is bright orange vertical lines, which represent natural sounds. Yvonne and Imogen walking, talking, the dogs barking, the wind howling. But Breen points to a few spots where there are very clear, strange horizontal lines about the width of a toothpick, and they're crossing through the flames. Those are artificial sounds. If I'm looking through one of these recordings, I can see quite quickly, quite easily, if something isn't dialogue or if it isn't really a natural sound. We let the natural sound play for a little bit. Imogen's dialogue with Yvonne. Then, Breen goes to a spot in the recording where there's a horizontal line, and he zooms in so it's all that we can see. It's at a point where Imogen and Yvonne are inside the house, and when they didn't think they'd heard the hum. Yeah, so that's really clearly just basically one frequency, but there is a lot of activity underneath it. So that's what you just heard. But if we just listen to the low end of the scale and make it a little louder. Oh, that's the stuff. That's it. That's the noise. Yeah, that's spooky. So I got a little excited when I saw that as well. So again, this is audio of something happening inside the house when Yvonne and Imogen didn't hear the hum. But then Breen goes further down the tape to the place where Yvonne and Imogen did hear the hum. And there, there's nothing. No horizontal line, nothing. Just the normal stuff you see in an audio program when there's silence. I can't see anything. No way. On the spectrogram. This is most likely just background noise from the recording. I mean, I'm getting noise like this in my headphones right now. That just looks like... Static on an old television. Yeah, exactly. However, there was also another point which interested me. A whole other section of the recording. I'm not even, honestly, I'm not sure what you're talking about at this point, but I believe you're outside of the house. Come on. Yvonne speaking to the dog. Yeah. Can you guess already why this section interests me here? Well, looking that's got at this. that really bright low line there. That straight line there. In this part of the tape, Imogen and Yvonne are walking the dogs in the valley, near a stream. This line is harder to see. It's lighter in color, and it looks more like a series of dashes, almost like it's pulsing. You can't hear anything there when I play that back to you, but we can isolate that. And this caught my attention not only because it's a straight line, but because it intermittently stops and starts, and then we play it in isolation. And that seems to continue pretty much throughout this whole section. Remember, Yvonne does say that the hum feels like a pulse. And that's what the dashes represent too. Not a continuous sound, but something going in and out. It is broken, isn't it, that line? It's like... 
It's an oscillation to me. It's not a continuous sound. Mm. So to me, that's especially because it's a point when neither of you were focusing on it or listening mm. or convincing each other that you hear it or something like that. I thought that was quite an interesting point. Yeah, that is interesting. I, that's mad though that it that it wasn't in the kitchen or isn't on the recording in the kitchen. Well, we have some low frequency energy in the initial kitchen. However, just because we've seen this here, which is around, I think it's 170 hertz or something like that, there could also be another version of this that's causing this ringing that could be even lower. This mm. could be like a, a higher octave right. of what the sound that is travelling too low for us to record yeah. or something like that because it was an unbelievably low sound like mm. I describe it in the pieces it's more like eardrum pressure it's so low mm. earlier you mentioned that some people say it sounds like a car accelerating towards them but never quite reaching mm. so there is a phenomenon called a shepherd tone which is where you have multiple sounds that are an octave apart each mm. if you change that in pitch it can give the impression of the sound constantly rising but never reaching. Oh, I've heard, I've seen that mm. before. It's, it's used really a lot weird. in film composing, sound design, yeah. especially over the last 15 years. Mm. It sounds like it constantly rises and never quite reaches, and it's very unsettling. Yeah. So that is just wild conjecture from me. Breen has a few other theories. He's from the area, and he says that the climate can be odd around there because of all the valleys. It causes a lot of strange wind. He's noticed there's a wind farm in the area that was upgraded within the past few years, and he wonders if that might coincide. Yeah, I wondered wind farm when I was there because obviously there's you can see some wind turbines. But then I spoke to this guy Glenn McPherson who's done more than most people ever looking into this. And he was very firm. He was like it's not wind turbines. But who knows? The fact that most wind turbines don't cause a hum doesn't mean that all wind turbines don't cause a hum. And something is making those lines on Breen's editing software, which means the people hearing the hum why dismiss them? I do think Yvonne and other listeners should feel like there's potentially some vindication. Right, yeah. Well, this is so frustrating, I guess, for them. And I got a tiny flavour of it when, when the piece went out. There's loads of people getting in touch being like, it's all nonsense. Like, they're hysterical women. It's, you know, <laughs> right. which must be so demoralising. When you hear it, when you hear the sound and people are telling you you do not hear the sound. Yeah. So, yeah, I hope they do... I hope they've... I mean, apart from anything else, it's just annoying not to have an answer to something mysterious, you know? Mm. How are you feeling right now, Imogen, having seen this? Ugh, I'm annoyed because now I'm really interested in it again. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I've got to go back to square one with it. I think I need to leave the rabbit hole alone is probably the truth because people do seriously spend their lives trying to work out what this thing is and it hasn't been very fruitful so far. Imogen, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me again. That's the show this week. Thank you for listening to FT Weekend, the podcast from the Financial Times. Do keep in touch. I love hearing from you. You can email us at ftweekendpodcast at ft.com 
We're on Twitter at FT Weekend Pod. And you can find me mostly on Instagram and sometimes on Twitter at Lila Rapp. If you want to do one thing to support the show this week, share it with two people who love podcasts and you think might love the show. Also, I did want to thank you all for your concern for my voice over the past few weeks. I did have a small virus. It's almost gone. Thanks again. As always, our show notes are full of great stuff. There are links to everything mentioned, including Imogen's magazine piece. The FT is taking a lot of its Ukraine coverage out from behind the paywall, so I've shared a link to that as well. I've also included an FT Weekend story that I loved from this week. It's a profile of Larry Gagosian. That's the cover of How to Spend It, which was written by Rob Armstrong and shot by the great photographer Tyler Mitchell. It's a really interesting look at the art market. You can still buy tickets to the FT Weekend Festival on May 7th in Washington, D.C. I've got a link and a discount code for that as well. And, of course, I have excellent offers for you on a subscription to the FT if you'd like to support our journalism and get access to all of our reporting. You know, this is a good time for FT reporting. My colleagues are brilliant, and when it comes to Europe and connecting the global dots in times of crisis, this is where they shine. It really is. Those offers are at ft.com slash weekend podcast. Make sure to use that link. It's in the show notes. I'm Lila Raptopoulos, and here is my exceptional team. Katya Komkova is our senior producer, with additional help from George Drake Jr. Lulu Smith is our assistant producer, and Breen Turner is our sound engineer, with original music by Metaphor Music. Topher Forges is our executive producer, and special thanks go to Cheryl Brumley and Renee Kaplan. Stay well, and we'll find each other again next week. As the world changes, so does the tech we need to secure what is important to us. And if you own crypto assets, you need a safe place to store your funds. At Ledger, we provide a secure and straightforward way to buy, exchange and grow your crypto. Whether you're an expert trader or just starting on your crypto journey, Ledger has everything you need all in one place. Ledger, the place to buy and grow your crypto securely. Reclaim power over your money. Learn more at ledger.com.